Welcome to the Ask Girl podcast, which is where we explore the makeup of amazing people and topics. I founded the Revitalized Clinic in 2013 to provide you with a team of experts you need to be pain-free, mentally well and physically fit. Contact us for your free consultation with an expert to start your journey online or face-to-face. So the question of today, which is a topic of interest to me, and I'm happy that there's a few of you guys who also find it interesting, and that topic is of the ancient Egyptians, what we can learn from them, and especially when it comes to philosophy, ethics, etc. Now, the biggest mistake that I think that we can make when we look at the ancient Egyptians is um, one of two assumptions, or both. The first assumption is that the development of technology or the development of yeah, technology or, or, or science is linear. So we assume that, for example, because the ancient Egyptians existed anywhere between 5000 BC to, say, 50 BC with the last reigning um, pharaoh being Cleopatra, we assume that because so much time has passed, we are far more technologically sophisticated than they are but this isn't quite the case think of it this way the pyramids for example uh one of them is the great one of great pyramid of giza is 140 meters in height the mathematical calculations that it took to build this uh, are so sophisticated that it combines the equation of pi the positions of stars and planets in our solar system and it's so sophisticated that the top scientists in China couldn't even replicate a 60 foot model of what is actually a 140 meter structure. As well as this, think of hieroglyphics. So we've only just recently been able to translate what hieroglyphics actually mean because of the Rosetta Rosetta Stone, right? Which means that for thousands of years, this language was previously untapped. We didn't know what it meant. Now, this doesn't seem too much of a problem until if I was to say that imagine if computer science or the code that we use to program our computers no one could understand it for 2000 years you start to then see well how this could actually be quite a a significant problem because you can then go for thousands of years without technology which was previously well used and previously used quite a lot to go completely extinct and no one knows what it means at all the Dogon tribe, which is still present present today in Africa even, they took their ability to map the stars from the ancient Egyptians. And they actually predicted two planets um, and Sirius star A, Sirius star B, hundreds of years before we actually discovered it using our telescopes. So once again, it shows you how science is not necessarily linear. It doesn't necessarily develop over time. In a lot of ways, they're far more advanced than us when it comes to their understanding. The other thing to consider is that civilization, as we know it, isn't the uniform for civilization as a whole. We're going to see how the Egyptians, although being extremely technologically sophisticated, prioritize their own ethical development over their own scientific or commerce development. So what we prioritize today, a lot of the time, is capital, i.e. how much money can you make? What do you have? Which very, very important things. How do we keep the economy going? And we essentially worship that side of reality. 
Whereas, so our competition is extroverted. It's me versus you, my industry versus your industry, my company versus your com- your your industry, right? But the ancient Egyptians, as we'll see, actually started to create an internal competition. Their competition was with themselves as to how they could develop themselves as ethically well-behaved spiritual individuals. So let's crack on. Historically, so firstly, although some historians would span the ancient Egyptian civilization over 15,000 years and the empire about 5,000 years, 5,000 BC to 30 BC, this was not a primitive society as we've already mentioned, it was extremely advanced. Their developments have greatly influenced succeeding African empires, the Greek and the Roman empires, and resultantly our own. Rather than, so if you grew up in Britain, a lot of the time you would think as the origin of civilization as being the Greeks or the Romans, but the ancient Egyptians really laid the vast majority of the foundations for the Greeks and the Romans. And a lot of their original messages were actually lost in translation. So what we view as being these pillars of sophistication, which was given us by, to, by, to us by the Greeks and Romans, actually previously laid down by the ancient Egyptians in far more detail. However, their ideals were based on ethics, the triumph over good and evil. As we aim for economic growth, they would aim for what is called ma'at, which is good, trust, justice, and order, trying to take chaos from the world and make order from it. Socialist ideals. There seemed to be a lack of classist tension in ancient Egypt, far from feudal Egypt, uh, far from feudal Europe, with social upheaval being very rare in ancient Egypt. So what we can see, for example, is the rise of capitalism around the Mediterranean shortly after the fall of the Egyptian empire or during the fall of the Egyptian empire. And it was actually during, only during the arising of capitalism, rather than a more of a socialistic outlook on civilization, that we then start to see riots occurring in ancient Egypt, where the working class were rioting against the emerging middle and upper classes. And we only actually start to see this as capitalism starts to seep into ancient Egypt during its downfall. The society in ancient Egypt was extremely wealthy, pledging as much as the equivalent of £8 million worth of gold just to build a single temple. However, the monarchy was responsible for the success of commerce. So what we actually see is that it is the pharaohs who are responsible for making sure that the land is fertile, to make sure that everyone has enough to eat, to make sure that the water sources are clean, etc. So capitalism or or business isn't in ancient Egypt responsible for um, the basic needs of every individual, which is similar to what we have today when we have a government who looks out for uh, making sure that inflation stays to a certain level or making sure that the water sources are clean, making sure that no one starts to etc. But Egypt was far more focused on protecting the poor um, via the view of the monarchy and making sure that basically everyone has a a safety mechanism in society. And we actually see this in early ancient Greece as well. In early ancient Greece, the rich weren't necessarily worshipped. A lot of the time they were looked down upon because they didn't meet their socialist ideals at the time. 
this would be the equivalent nowadays of having a home and nutritious food being your birthright living in the UK. Not 30 years of debt to own a flat, a flat or a home is your birthright in ancient Egypt. You would be given a home and nutritious food, which would be made plentif uh, plentifully available to you. And this was in the pursuit of an ethical and not an economic ideal. The focus was on making sure that ethically people were well-developed and sound. Economy came second. Ethics held the greatest currency, not wealth. And we can see this because in the monarchy, the monarchy in their death would have what is called a declaration of innocence inscribed in their tombs. Now, this is the equivalent of, for example, the way that politicians uh, today in the UK would defend their reign or defend their power is they would say, I gave X number of jobs. The economy grew by this much and the unemployment was this low. Now, what we see in ancient Egypt is something quite different. Inscribed in the tombs of a lot of the pharaohs, we read things such as this. So this was written by uh, Bakinosu. Bakinosu, which is a high priest. He was a high priest in 12th century BC, so 1,200 years before Christ. This is what was inscribed in his, in his, uh, in his tomb. I did not do isfet, which is evil. I judged the poor like the rich and the strong like the weak. If they did not live to ethical ideals, of Ma'at, then their car, which is their soul, would be destroyed in the Juat, which is the afterlife. So this is where we have, for example, you'll see uh, the symbol of our judicial system is is weighing the odds by a blind by a, a blind woman, and we see this first emerging in ancient Egypt, where in the afterlife you would have your heart weighed against the weight of a feather, and if the heart was heavier than the weight of a feather, then your soul would be destroyed. And if you and if it wasn't, then you'd go into the into the afterlife and live a happy live a happy happy live happily ever ever after. So the point here is to explore what would society be like if ethics carried as much weight as currency. So for example, rather than us looking up to the individual who had the biggest car and the biggest house and basically messed on everyone, how would our society look if we actually held people on the highest platform when they had done most good by their community. And we can see a lot of people doing this anyway, but it is not the way that our uh, society runs as a whole. A lot of the time there's conflict. And you might even argue that this is because we've inherited these amazing ancient Egyptian ideals, but at the same time, they're conflicted by what might be more capitalistic or personal gain or selfish ideals. And we're constantly as a community trying to balance the two. So mythology now bring us, brings us on to mythology, the origin of good and evil. So in ancient Egypt, we see a creationist story which tells us of the universe coming into being as well as our own consciousness from unconsciousness. So what we see from these creationist myths is not just the immersion of the universe and physical matter, but it's also how we come into the world and how we are born into the world unconscious and we slowly start to develop our consciousness hopefully as we age or as we mature so atom which represents the aruberos the abyss the chaotic disorder of good evil female and masculine provides four key figures in the ancient egyptian mythology osiris osiris who is the old king represents culture strength tradition Isis is the wife of the old king, the wife of Osiris. Then we've got Set, 
who is the evil brother of Osiris, and Set is where we get Satan from. And then we've got Horus, who is Osiris's son, who defeats Set in order to re-establish order. A lot of people are aware of the quite core similarities between Horus and Jesus. Both were sent to the world to, supposedly sent to the world to banish evil. Uh, very, there's a lot of myths surrounding Horus, which match up with some similarities surrounding Jesus. One is the birthday, another is uh, the act of crucifixion uh, being his death. But there are countless myths around Horus. So Horus doesn't have one strict story. There are loads. Horus, which is where we also get the eye of Horus, which you might recognize from the Illuminati symbol, or you might know it is from the top of the pyramid on the American pound nose. This is, the, this is where we get the eye of Horus, which represents, or we get, so we don't get that, that in, it was inspired by the eye of Horus. This represents consciousness. Um, and he can only see Set's evil, so he can only see evil in Satan or Set, because he can look into the abyss of chaos and evil and see it for what it is. He is not blinded by tradition or complacency like his father. Now, we are all guilty of lying to ourselves in the moment of complacency. Many times we look away from the reality of chaos. We hide into our unconscious states rather than stare into the abyss and do what is needed of us. Know thyself is an antidote to this. The key message from this myth is to know yourself, become conscious, stare at what is a threat, be alert as to what is a threat, and make sure that you do your best to spread ma'at, which is good, and order, to banish isfet, which is evil and chaos. There are many theories that this is the story of what the story of Jesus is based on, a deity who could look into the abyss as evil, walk towards it, walk towards chaos, and confront it with good ma'at. So Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, the one who was able to see the evil in the world and would wholeheartedly and, and uh, very, in a very disciplined way, a very enlightened way, walk towards evil rather than hide from it. So in summary, if we were, to, if we were able to take the key pillars from ancient Egyptian society and apply them to ours, ethically and socially, it would be to house and feed the poor, to treat the poor man as you would treat the rich man, to treat ethical growth as equal to economic growth, to not grow economically at the expense of ethics. So another example of this is, for example, our phones. We prioritize communication or having the latest phone. We upgrade our phone far quicker than we need to. We could rely on just the old model, and uh, but we don't. Now, we're purely, purely focused on the self-gain of this, but the ancient Egyptians might view it quite differently. The ancient Egyptians might say, well, your phones need uranium, I think it is. And uranium is actually mined by people who are in completely inhumane environments, mining it from the ground. Children are mining it from the ground in third world countries. We're not going to use uranium in our phones because it's unethical to do so. so this is something, this is almost like a, a perspective that the ancient Egyptians might give. Uh, to make it a duty to banish evil, chaos and disorder from society and from our own minds on a regular occur occurrence. So Horus does battle, the myth of Horus battling Set, his evil uncle, he does this every night. So the myth goes that Horus rises every night and he does battle with Set. And the reason why he does so is that 
evil is always going to be around and it's always going to have a place in our society and it's our duty to not to never ever see our battle as with evil as being done it has to continue every day just as horus rises every night to do battle with set and the other is to become a hero in your own life and to discover your own mind exercise control justice and do good over isfet so to constantly try and empower ourselves to be good and to do good and if we do that enough and if we do that when it's needed then we will stand a much better chance at eradicating evil from the world and evil from our own hearts as well so if you need help organizing and the other thing, yeah, of course if you need help organizing your mind and if you need help organizing your life then feel free to book a free consultation with us at the clinic we've got natalie who's our 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 doctor of psychology she's a clinical psychologist and she's also a life coach as well as a psychotherapist or counselor so if you have any issues when it comes to taking control over your own mind and taking control over your your own actions your behavior in the world then feel free to book a free consultation with her there's been quite a few books which i'd recommend i've got if you if you're interested in in ancient egypt there's an author called um Valuna Karenga, who's a brilliant author, and he's written two books. One which I, I got yesterday, which this is the the seer, which is uh, little pieces of wisdom from ancient Egypt, and then we've also got the moral ideal of ancient Egypt. Both brilliant books, which I'd recommend. Uh, you've also got When We Ruled by Robin Walker, a fantastic book. It's probably the best encyclopedia of African history that. I've ever come across and the other is any books on early psychology so because the brain is such a, a deep really really unexplored world um, the early psychologists described uh, decided to look into mythology as a better way of understanding our own minds in comparison to science even now science has really only brushed the surface when it comes to understanding our own psychology Science is a great way to understand the average of a lot, but not the specifics of an individual. So the early psychologists would look to um, ancient Egypt, ancient Egyptian mythology and other forms of mythology to really understand the workings of the mind, which is, this is where we get the hero story coming, coming through, which is the story of Horus, one of the first hero stories that we've come across. So... I hope that <laughs> I hope that did it justice. I hope that that's exactly what you guys wanted. I'd be interested in your feedback. I would be interested in hearing any questions that you have. So what I will do is just as I'm closing all this down on my computer, is uh, I'll wait just a few moments just in case you guys have any questions. Uh, but it was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Trevor. It was a pleasure um, talking about what is of interest to me. And if you've got any suggestions to any further topics uh on these ask girl podcasts then i would uh, be more than happy to to see what you have to say and to, to put that into my plan